Hey, Forge family. God bless you. Today, before we begin uh, episode number three of Jacob's story, I want to do a quick review of some things from chapter 26 of Genesis, the last time we were together. Uh, that was when there was a famine in the land, and the Lord God appeared to Isaac, the father of Esau and Jacob, and the Lord said, stay in the land, don't go down to Egypt, and I will bless you. And it's a reiteration, it's a restatement in a powerful way of uh, the, the blessing on Abraham. And so Isaac does that. He moves his camp over next to the Philistine lands of Gerar. And um, while he's there, uh, he is blessed. He becomes rich and richer and wealthy. He becomes a mighty company of, of people. And the king of Gerar comes and says, Abimelech comes and says to, to Isaac, you are too mighty for us. Move away. Uh, that's just in the natural. Um, you don't want an armed uh, militia, if you will, right on your borders. And so Isaac packs up and he moves. And then he... Uh, he sends ahead of him the well diggers, and they redig a well of Abraham that he had his father had dug, and they bucket the sand out of it. And by the time the rest of the family arrives, there's water. They get settled, and then here come the the Philistine shepherds, and they say, "No, this is our land. This is our water." So this would be the second time that Isaac has to choose whether he's going to stay, because the Lord told him, "You go and you stay in the land." He did that, and he was blessed. But first in front of Abimelech, and now in front of the shepherds, he says, okay, it's cool, and he packs camp and moves. And so this, this passive passivity, the passive nature of stepping away from conflict and retreating and going to the next place, and they had to do it four times. And he's, he moves way out into the Negev and finally returns back to Beersheba. And um, in all of that, Esau and Jacob were in the in the tent city. They they were part of that of that that rhythm of life in the, in the Philistine territories. And then as they moved out to redig those wells, at the end of the chapter, Esau, whether of his own hook or whether uh, Isaac, just was too passive and had not taken upon himself to acquire a wife for his firstborn son Esau. Esau goes and marries two daughters uh, of Hittite origin. They're Canaanite people. And um, the result for Isaac and Rebekah is they had great bitterness of spirit because of the Canaanite lifestyle that those daughter-in-laws brought into the house. Now, before we start looking at chapter 27, let's pray. Lord Jesus, some of us learn by reading and some by listening and some by doing. Lord, we want to learn from Isaac and from Rebekah and from Jacob and from Esau. Lord, we want to learn vicariously because some of their choices are so bad, but they're sneaky. They're so common to us as well. So we ask you, Lord, to open our ears and our hearts. And we trust you, Lord, to, to cause this text of the scriptures to come alive in us so we can apply it and get ready to pass it on to someone else. In Jesus' name, amen. So, episode three, 
um, is an account of a deeply divided, dysfunctional family in which the right values are pursued in the wrong ways, with the wrong motives. We find now that Isaac is, 20, is 137 years old. Isaac is an old man, he thinks. Now, he's going to live till he's 180. He's got 43 more years to live, but he's living his life prone. He, when, he, when he's visited in his tent, when food is brought to him, they have to encourage him, sit up, sit up, Father. And so, you know, he's basically done, and he's blind. He's lost his sight, and he will be in that state for the next 43 years. And in spite of Esau's spiritual lack, in, in, in spite of his choices you know, to marry these two Canaanite women, Isaac loves Esau. He's a man's man. He's a hunter. And he provides um, the, the wild game that, from which the, the tasty, savory meals are prepared for Isaac. Now, we know that when elders age, we lose the the taste spectrum on our tongue. I mean, I watched my father-in-law pour uh, sweetener into his coffee to the point where, it, to any of the rest of us, it would have been so, it was headache sweet. But he couldn't taste sweet. And so he kept adding more and more and more. Well, that probably was true for Isaac. The reason he loved these um, savory, gamey dishes was they had flavor that he could he could perceive on his tongue. They were spicy and they were gamey. So the deal here is eight times in this passage the word game, as in wild game, uh, appears. And six times tasty food appears. So what Isaac does is he's, he's privately, secretly calls his firstborn Esau to him and says, son, uh, it's time. I don't know the end of my life. It's at hand somehow, and I want to bless you. So you go out, take your bow and arrow, you get some wild game and prepare that tasty food that I love, and then I will bless you. The word that he uses for the, 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 the tasty food that he loves is yahav. In Hebrew, it means it's a passionate word for love, and it's almost always in personal relationships, especially between a man and a woman. But Isaac has made a transference here. He is hooked on. He loves this tasty food. So Esau says nothing at that point about having lost his birthright to his younger brother Jacob. He just expects that because he's firstborn, he's going to get the blessing. And in his mind, they're separate. The blessing and the birthright are separate things, and he'll get one of the two. However, in the mind of the Lord, they're, they're wed. They're locked together. They're inseparable. The birthright and the blessing go together. <clears throat> the problem here is Isaac has dispatched his son out into the, into the wilderness to go get some wild game. But he does it secretly and privately, but in a conversation that is overheard through the tent by his wife, Rebecca. If you recall, the tent was structured so that the men were in the front, and then there's a, a sheet of woven material that separates the front of the house from the women's quarters. But sound would have carried right through that, that curtain, and Rebecca knows there's something sneaky here. And she, she turns quickly 
and says, here's an opportunity for Jacob to fulfill the prophetic word that the younger would rule the older. That was the word from the Lord when she was carrying twins in her womb. See, her, her spiritual values and priorities line up with those of God, but her methods are fully flesh, and they're reprehensible. Isaac has had no spiritual leadership in the family, and yet he sneaks in this secret blessing ceremony. There's, there's four other times in the scriptures when blessing is, is done, and it's always out in the open. It's always done as a celebration. It's always done publicly. Now, not, not Isaac. So Rebecca recognizes that this blessing that's to come on one of the sons is going to be given in the presence of the Lord. That triggers her into action. And she turns to her son Jacob and, and commands him. In fact, she, in this passage, she commands him twice. This is, this is not a suggestion. This is not, honey, you know, we ought to do something here. This is a command. And she says, you need to get yourself ready to get in and get that blessing. And it, she enters into it. It's a plot that she sets up between herself and Jacob to take that blessing from Esau. Now, Jacob is, has no qualms of conscience here. Uh, he just he goes with the plan. The only question he has is, you know, if this thing blows up in my face, I could end up with a curse instead of a blessing. To which his mama says, "No, look, let the curse fall on me. I'll take responsibility for it." Jacob comes back and says, well, I'm a smooth man. My brother is rough and hairy. He's a man of the outdoors. And if he's hugged or touched, Isaac will know instantly it's me and not not Esau. So Rebecca commands that two small kid goats are taken quickly, slaughtered and brought to her so that she can prepare a savory meal. So milk-fed goat, baby goats, are a blank slate for spices and for um, a way to make a savory dish. And so she uh, cobbles up this spicy dish with the texture, a tender texture of baby goat. And it's, she knows this, this is exactly the kind of food that her husband loves. And then she takes the skins from the goats and she puts them on the, on the neck and on the hands of Jacob. She coaches him. She puts food in his hand and she sends him into the presence of his father. And Jacob comes in and says, Hi, I'm, I'm Esau, your firstborn, and I have, I've got the, the meal uh, of game all ready for you. Sit up, Father, I'm ready to feed you and be blessed. Now the emphasis on that whole passage is being blessed. He knows what he wants, but he's sort of tentative about this. And, and uh, Isaac comes right back and says, Wait a minute, who are you really? And, he, and so then there starts a series of lies and deceptions that Jacob walks through. First he says, I'm Esau. Then he says, it's my game. Then he actually includes the name of the Lord in his protestation that he really is Esau and that God helped him find this game quickly. That, that's blasphemy. He's attached the name of the Lord God to an untruth. And then he wears the skins and the clothes that smell of Esau. And lastly, when he's asked, you know, when Isaac says to him, are you really, really Esau? Because the voice, that's the voice of Jacob, but it is the hands of Esau. And, and finally Jacob says, yes, I am, I am. So, you know, he, he hugs him, he smells the, the fragrance of the field and the fragrance of his Esau 
of Esau's clothes on him, and he goes, oh, it is my son Esau. And so he eats, and then he gives this dynamic blessing. He really believes he is blessing his firstborn. You know, he's rising up from stupor, and he lays on on Jacob this amazing blessing. And he says, now may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth. This is verse 28 and chapter 27. My, may people serve you. You, know, they want, you want the grain and the new wine and nations will bow down to you. Be masters of your brother. And may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. And so it's really an amazing full blessing. I'm speaking of fertility and dominion. That's Abraham's blessings. It speaks of Abraham's blessings and Abraham's destiny that's poured out in the progeny. The blessing is delivered. Jacob leaves. And immediately, there's Esau at the door. Now, in the lives of the patriarchs, here in the first five books of the, of the scriptures, the, these, the timing is amazing. The timing is, is a critical part of this. You know, we talked about the seed and the land and God's authority and God's loving on and being merciful to all peoples. But then you come to this timing issue. God is in the, in the mix. Here comes Esau from, from the field. He's got a dish of venison or whatever it was that he was able to shoot with his bow and arrow. And he comes and he says, Ho, oh, Father, here I am. I've got the, I have the game that you, uh, you sent me to get and I'm ready to be blessed. And Isaac is rocked to his sandals. He says, oh, Who are you? You know, who, who, Who's this that's come through the door? And, and he says, oh, I'm Esau. And, and then Isaac realizes he's been deceived. And, it, and his whole body trembles. He shakes because the crowning, you know, crowning end of his life was to pass this blessing on. And it was supposed, in his mind, it was supposed to go to Esau. And he realized that's failure. That's tragedy for, in his viewpoint. But then there's this burst of faith that comes up in him. And he says, yes, I blessed that one that came, and yes, he will be blessed. It's a doubling. It's a redoubling of that blessing. You know, it is really the last, nearly the last statement of faith that comes up out of Isaac's mouth. What what Esau responds is with a loud, bitter cry. And he recognizes that Jacob has taken both his birthright and the blessing. And he sort of lived up to that pun on his name. His name is Yaakov, you know, which has to do with God's protection and God's provision. But the pun is Yaakov, which means deceiver, interloper, one who gets in from behind and, and, and steals and, and shifts things around. And, and Esau cries out and says, oh, bless me too. Isn't there a blessing for me too? But in verse 30, 39 and 40, all that Isaac can summon is what's left, which is nothing. It's an anti-blessing. Esau lifts up his voice and he weeps and Isaac says to him, Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven from above, and by your sword you shall live. And it shall come about when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. I mean, that's, that's about as bad as it gets. 
he had made his way by being a predator on animals. Now he's going to live by the sword. He's going to be a predator on people. And it foretells the fact that it's he will rise up and rebel against his brother. And that comes later in scripture where the nation of Edom, named after him, um, will, will go to war with Israel. Now, in this situation, Esau has lost it all. And he is ticked. He is enraged. And he begins to plot to kill Jacob. And he manifests that, at that point that he really is a son of Cain. You know, murder, uh, especially fratricide, is, is very much just a reprise of the Cain and Abel story. But it, the word of that plan makes it into the ear of Rebekah. And she hears, and she goes quickly and tells Jacob, her son. She doesn't tell Isaac, her husband. She goes to her son and she says, Obey my voice. Here's the second command. Obey my voice and flee. Flee to Padan Aram. Flee to your uncle Laban. Get away from Esau. And then she sets in, plan, sets in motion a plan to protect Jacob. So she goes to Jacob and she says, I am disgusted with the Canaanite daughters-in-law that are here. And if Jacob were to marry one of those, I couldn't live. Isaac rises up. He calls Jacob to him. And he recognizes that marriage into the Canaanite culture would be a wicked thing. And so he blesses Jacob. And, and as he departs to go to to Uncle Laban's house up in Padan Aram, up in, near Haran, uh, from where, the, where Abraham and Sarai and Lot had come from, up in northern modern Syria. And then the second thing he does is he charges Jacob and says, don't take a Canaanite wife. And he sends him off. Well, as Jacob leaves, he's 77 years old, and he has a 400-mile journey to go. Now, standing in the background is Esau. And he hears this, this charge. Don't take a wife from the Canaanites. Well, that's a done deal. But kind of late, he wants to please dad. And so he decides, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go get a different wife. And so he goes over to Ishmael's camp, the, the firstborn of Abraham, their cousins, if you will. You know, it would have been Uncle, would have been Uncle Ishmael. And he marries one of Ishmael's daughters. You see, he's, he's got, a, he's got a, a sense that he should be doing things, but they're not done by faith. So as Jacob flees, Jacob flees Esau's murderous intent on his life. And second, Jacob flees the Canaanite lifestyle that's pressing in on Isaac's camp and household. See, that kind of insidious, wicked, carnal culture was enough to, to get Isaac to say, get out of here, go to your uncle's house. Now at this point, that's nearly the last mention of both Isaac and Rebekah. They just drop out of scripture. 
God uses and he redeems the, the, the sneaky stuff of Rebekah to make sure that Jacob receives the blessing and the birthright. And he is the seed. But he doesn't condone, condone her methods. And so she is not mentioned again until later in the text it says she was buried in the cave of Machpelah. And she loses both her sons. So as we, we come to the end of this thing, um, we need to zoom out. You need to step back from this. Because you've gone from this uh, functional family with lies and deceptions and now the threat of murder. And you're going, what does this have to do with God? But when you zoom out, you get the chance to look at this thing and say, God, what are you doing here? Ultimately, Jacob gets the blessing. The seed continues through his line. He protects that seed by fleeing. He gets away from what would kill him and defile him. Now, in, in chapters 27 and 28, there are these accounts of right things that are done, but they're done in the wrong way. And they're done with wrong motives. Let me give you a couple of examples. For example, let's say you are convinced that God wants you to be married. That, that that's plainly set and, and you have that sense in your heart and that's really from the Lord and, and you want to act on that. And so you begin to move to accept less than God's best. At its worst, you say to yourself, well, anyone in marriage would be good enough to accomplish that will of God in my life. If I'm married to just anybody, that means I'm going to get married and that's what God has for me. But we all know that can be disastrous. Now God obviously is merciful. God obviously takes those broken marriages and does remarkable things in some of them. Okay? But the, the assumption that you can act out of your own desires on what God says is good for you doesn't produce right answers. Second opportunity there, second possibility is you've, you've received a prophetic word, a very clear statement from the Spirit of God to you, and it's been confirmed. You're not, you know, you're not out there in the parking lot. This is not parking lot prophecy. This is something that, that brothers and sisters around you goes, that's God, that's true, that's who you are. My Spirit confirms that with your Spirit. And you have this prophetic word, and you see an opportunity to move to forward that prophetic thing in your life. But it's not God's time. And it's not done in God's ways. And you don't get God's results. Because you just said, well, you know, there's, here's a prophetic word and I'm just going to move to get that fulfilled. <clears throat> See, when we exercise our faith, God does work good things. But when we do it with it the wrong way and the wrong time with the wrong motives, we end up reproved. We end up corrected. God gets blessed. God works with it. But our faith has to be shaped. And, and, and often, that's not a success for us. We just have to go, oh, I'm so sorry, Lord. I acted independently. Now, Isaac is someone that we can relate to here. Because Isaac, he was a man who was driven by passion. 
He's passive all over the place in other areas of leadership and life. But when it comes to the thing that drives his life, he has this passionate, sensual desire that comes up over and over again. And he gives himself to his senses and to pleasure and to the taste. You know, his, his tongue, his mouth, his belly begins to dominate his life. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Isaac is someone who is a model for us who lets something else slide into his life early and often and it got locked in so that he lost the taste for the presence of God, for the fellowship with God. He'd rather have a hot, savory dish of venison. So, say to yourself, repeat after me, repeat with me, I won't be like Isaac. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue my relationship with the Lord because he's, he is the one who fulfills all those passions and desires in my heart. I'm not going off on my own hook. And then secondly, Isaac you know, is someone who exercises his faith he expresses it, but he does it with the wrong motives and with the wrong intentions. So, Lord Jesus, as we come to the end of episode three, we long to be those who make right choices for in the right way, at the right time, with the right motive, because you're in it. And if you're not in it, we don't want to make those choices. We ask you, Lord, that you would awaken our spirits to what is laid out before us today. How do I walk with you, Lord? What, what good taste of the Lord is in today's activities? What sweet thing is going to flow my way so I can go, oh, thank you, Lord, for what you did. Thank you for stepping, helping me step around this pit in the ground. I would have walked right into it. And you walked me around it and said, don't go there. I'm, Amen, Lord, I'm with you. Lord, um, thank you for protecting the seed from which we have descended. The text of Scripture says that sons and daughters of the King, those who believe in Jesus and have received him by grace through faith, we are, we are grafted into those great and blessed promises of Abraham. But Lord, we have to walk those out too. So thank you for protecting us. Thank you for awakening in us this sense that, whoa, there's things out there that could disqualify me, you know, that could deceive me, that could defile me. We don't want that. We want to follow close after you. And, and we would be those who, who express your good pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Forge family. We'll see you soon. God bless.